And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome back to the latest edition of The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Bruce Feldman, joined, as always, by my colleague from The Athletic, Stuart Mandel. Stu, as we taped on Sunday, we had some coaching news. That was at LSU. Less than 24 hours later, or about 24 hours later, there was another big bombshell announcement, and it came out of the Pac-12 in Washington State. Nick Rolovich is out as the Cougars head coach, as well as four of his assistants. It's pretty rare that you see half a staff get lopped off uh, at midseason, especially when they've won the uh, last couple of games. But obviously there are some big extenuating circumstances. What do you make of the situation in Pullman? It's, I mean, it's been a like a two-month, you know, we've known since August that this day would come uh, unless he had a change of heart. So it's been like a kind of a slow motion train wreck. And now that it's happened, and, and like you said, I mean, I think the, the perhaps the most significant part is that it's not just the head coach. I mean, we've, we've seen plenty of schools have to play with an interim head coach. It's half the staff. And they've got a game against BYU this weekend. And there's only so many GAs and, and whatnot that you can promote. Um, and, and by the way, they've been playing very well. They've won three games in a row. They're in contention for the Pac-12 North title after a one and three start. How? What happens from here? I mean, how do you? How do you know? How do you? How do you game plan? How do you uh, get in enough instruction with these with the guys on a week to week basis? Well, I had asked on the Zoom call. I'd asked Pat Chun, the AD, about this part of what we're talking about um, of the dynamic, which is. The contingency plans, I'd heard that they were sorting out to try to add assistance. And he said, you got to keep in mind, so it's not just Nick Rolovich, the head coach. It's the offensive line coach as well as the offensive coordinator. And Nick Rolovich is a hands-on, offensive-minded guy. That is a big chunk of what you know essentially is their run-and-shoot offense. And as Chun said, there's just not a lot of guys on the street who are versed in that system who are, who are available to coach it. I mean, I had a back-and-forth with a college coach who is like maybe they should try to get mouse davis i know he's available mouse davis is 89 years old but you know he was he was (laughs) that that's the you know that's that's a good point like that he left and he left behind an offense that that hardly anybody i think they may be the only program that runs it at this point so you can't just sub in some random offensive june jones from my understanding is not going to do it june jones is a mentor to uh to Nick Rolovich, as I said, um, Mouse Davis is 89. I found out, by the way, you know where he was born? Palouse, Washington, of all places. He never coached there, but he was born there. Huh. So, what are the odds of that? Know, a million to one? I don't know. Um, but <laughs> but uh, in all seriousness, I'm 
you know, Jake Dicker, who's the defensive coordinator, he has taken over as the interim head coach. This team has, as you said, I mean, they basically control their own destiny in the Pac-12 North. Um, it's just the whole dynamic is is really bizarre. Um, how it has played out, it is going. It's already political politicized. It is going to get, I suspect, much more so as more people who maybe aren't college football fans or versed in it. Yeah, his lawyer uh, now, uh, sent an this. email out to the media uh, uh, Wednesday morning that he's going to take legal action against the school. You knew that was coming. Um, look, the players clearly loved Coach Rolovich. He, he had lots of supportive messages on, on social media. You know, a lot of a lot of the players were frustrated that, that it came to this. Uh, and I just feel like it's one of those situations where it's kind of going to fall on the players. Like they can, they can rally together and, and this could become a, a bonding thing and they could um, go on to have a really good season or all of the chaos and, and not knowing who your position coach is going to be. And uh, all the things you just said, I mean, could completely derail it. Yeah. On top of it, those players have already been through a lot, especially the upperclassmen. They've had two teammates, uh, die in their time there. And that's hard, you know, that's for, especially for people of that age, you know, to deal with that kind of tragedy and teammates, no less is excruciating. They have been through, you know, coaching changes. Now they're going to be going through another one, uh, in addition to obviously going through a, you know, coping with a pandemic on top of that. I mean, that is, that is, you know, a devastating kind of emotional roller coaster that they're on. And, um, you know, we'll see where the story goes. I mean, you know, as far as the where they look after this, I mean, right now they have a season to complete. And so I think unlike, you know, USC, unlike to some extent LSU, where the administration and the AD can really focus on the search, I think in this case, Pat John and the administration really have to focus on how do we help this team get to the rest of the season? Because you have essentially half a staff. And as you alluded to, this is in Alabama or Georgia where you have like 20, 20 analysts who are off the books or not off the books, but like, you know, not on field coaches who are usually experienced and could jump right in. This is not a program with that kind of resources. So it's just a, um, I don't know. It's, it's a very, very awkward, messy, messy situation in Pullman. The interesting thing about that job is, I, mean, I think we kind of automatically, uh, oftentimes, when we, well, certainly when we talked about Leach and what he did there, we always kind of default to, it's such a hard job, it's in the middle of nowhere, there's not a great recruiting base. However, you look at... Uh, the last, I don't know, 25 years of Washington State, Mike Price took them to two Rose Bowls. Leach had an 11-win season. It's still very early or what, in what would have been Rolovich's tenure, but they're doing okay right now. I mean, you, the end of the day, like the right coach can win there. And uh, and it's a Power 5 job. It's a, one of the probably lower-resourced Power 5 jobs, but it's a Power 5 job. So I do think there would be coaches' interest in that. Do you want to talk a little bit about some of the names that you – uh, included on your list? Yeah, I think one of the first names that I suspect they will consider is Jay Norvell. He's done a really good job at Nevada. He's coached in the Pac-12. He's a good offensive coach. He has, um, you know, Carson Strong might be the first quarterback taken in the NFL draft upcoming. He's helped develop him. And so I, I could see Jay Norvell, especially where 
you know, you follow up Mike, and you and I both know him very well. He's a terrific coach, but Mike can be a handful to manage. Um, to, and that's, you know, just putting it bluntly. But, and then you had Rolovich, and I'll, I'll be honest, I thought this was going to be a really good hire and work out great for them. And it obviously, you know, has not for all sorts of reasons that probably no one could have anticipated, you know, back when they hired him. But I think coming off of that, where you have two really, really outside the box thinkers, um, you know, and some of that I think is why they're really good offensive minds, you know, being outside the box thinkers. But I think they may be looking for somebody a little more buttoned up and a little, you know, I, I don't know what the way to say it more than buttoned up that, that um, just from a management side of it, I could see, you know, you and I both have had Jay Norvell as a guest on this podcast. He's impressive when you hear his story and who he is really impressive. Um, I could see them looking at Kalen DeBoer from Boise state. He's going to be a big time coach. Yeah. I'm sorry. What I say, Boise state. Yeah. Kalen DeBoer from Fresno. Uh, he's won national titles at the NAI level. He was an impressive uh, offensive coordinator at Indiana. I know from talking to coaches in that league, they thought he was really good. I think he's destined for bigger things. Um, and then after that, you know, I don't know if they look at Brent Brennan. He came as the runner-up for, you know, he's at San Jose State, was a runner-up for Arizona last year. He spent a lot of time, not in Boy, he in dodged Coleman, a bullet there. In, yeah, I, I mean, wherever you go, though, you know, you knew they were going to be a major rebuild. So I don't know, you know, how much you dodge a bullet if it's like that's your chance to be in the, you know, yeah. get a Pac-12 job. But and then I think there's a handful of assistants. I mean, there's a bunch of guys who are at Oregon who I think all could get a look, starting with Joe Moorhead. Joe Moorhead's actually the one assistant at Oregon who doesn't have Wazoo ties, who I think is a candidate. Um you know, there are, there are guys who are very interested. Jeff Banks, who was a player there and is a, you know, Mike Price protege and has a lot of people in his corner. He, he was on Alabama staff. He's a guy that is a really good recruiter who I think will get a push. At least I know he will from some people who are influential there. I just, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what they do next after how this thing has unfolded um, in terms of like, who do you want to hire in the wake of, a lot of tumultuous stuff in Pullman. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Let me throw another wrinkle into it, Bruce. Things are not going well for Jimmy Lake at Washington. They're two and four. Who knows where it ends up from here? Is there any possibility that both jobs in the state of Washington would be open? I don't think they would. I don't think Jen Cohen would pull the plug on Jimmy Lake just two years into his tenure there. I would not be shocked if they, if there was pressure on him to make an offensive coordinator change. I think that has been under underwhelming. Um, so, I mean, I don't. You know, they. I I would be surprised if they would pull the plug on Jimmy Lake two years in. I mean, he's a first time head coach. The first year was in a pandemic. Uh, you know, it's not, they kind of, they know him because of his work as a defensive coordinator there. I just, I'm not saying it's a, it's definitely not happening. I would be a little surprised. I would be too. It just feels like in general, and maybe it's, I don't know, coming out. I don't know what the reason is. It feels like patience levels across the sport all of a sudden are, are becoming, I mean, look what just happened with that Ogeron, like. Some of the norms of, oh, you you know, you got to wait this. I mean, we've seen several. We've seen Willie Taggart fired after two years. We saw Chad Morris fired after two years. It used to be you got to give a guy four years. Then four became three. By the way, those guys weren't fired after two years. They were fired before yeah. they got to even Like the, the window is starting to get less and less. And because of that, like I'm sure Jen Cohen fully supports Jimmy Lake and wants Jimmy Lake to succeed. The fans are already calling for his head. Uh, Christian Capel in his story off the uh, UCLA game said that the attendance was well below whatever they said it was, you know, reported that it was. So, look, if he can write things a little bit and they have a 500-ish season, I don't think that becomes a, a, you know, it's not even a, a possibility. The question is what happens if they end up going like three and nine? I don't think they will. Um, just from looking at the rest of their schedule, I think it sets up reasonably well for them at least to get around there i mean they play arizona next arizona's been awful they play at stanford that's a toss-up game they have at colorado colorado's you know next to washington state i think they're the next i'm I'm sorry next to arizona probably the worst team and then they play who knows what kind of shape uh, wazoo is going to be in so i think there's a you know there's a decent chance for them to get to six and six um, especially now that they've gotten some of their best receivers healthy, which were not healthy at the beginning of the year. So I think at least that gives them a chance for some optimism, but the offense has got to get a lot better. I mean, right now that has been dragging for them. And I think we've seen that. I mean, look, you know, they had throw out the Arizona, I'm sorry, Arkansas state game. I mean, 13 points against Montana. They scored 10 at Michigan. Now they lit up Cal for 31 24 at Oregon State and only 17 last week at UCLA. You got to get better on offense. You just have to. One last thing on the Rolovich, and I'm going to read you this passage. So from our um, from our story on the site today about the Rolovich pursuing legal action, we Chris Vanini 
answered the question, what does this mean for Rolovich's future? I'm going to read you this. And I'm going to ask you how much you may agree or disagree. He writes, it's hard to see him ever coaching in college football again. Clashing with your bosses over something like this is bound to make other presidents and athletic directors pass on hiring you, even at the assistant level. Suing them takes that to another level. I would think that is the case. I definitely would. Having said that, I've heard, I've seen a lot of instances where somebody sounded like they were on a hireable because they sued somebody and then they landed at, you know, Steve Sarkeesian sued USC. Exactly. That's exactly where I was going. Who would have thought Steve Sarkeesian would not only, he actually got arguably one of the top five jobs in college football. Now, Now, I'm not saying it's not undeserved. You know, he did a really good job and had arguably the best offense we've ever seen in college football last year that he had a big role in. But, you know, I think sometimes we just automatically assume that somebody's never going to get another shot, you know, on a somewhat similar vein in terms of people thought they had a comeuppance. And, you know, Bobby Petrino basically has, has burned so many bridges and he still lands jobs. And, he, you know, after Lula, he got another job. Hugh Freeze had an embarrassing uh, exit from Ole Miss. He got, you know, he was out for a little while, but he got got on at Liberty. I'm pretty sure that he's going to get a Power Five job at some point because he's a really successful football coach. Um, I think the question is going to be, can whoever hires him or potentially hires him, do they feel like they can trust him? I mean, I think that comes back to it because at, at the end of the day, you know, I go back to something I think Charlie Weiss might have said when he was getting run out at Notre Dame. You know, it's like his graduation rate was probably like 99.8% or something, you know, like really strong. They don't, you know, fire you for, you're not going to get fired for not graduating players. You're not gonna, it's if you, whether you win or you lose, you know, and or if they think you are not winning enough. And if, if that's the deal, because they'll overlook a lot of stuff. If, if you win. I don't, I'm going to, I mean, I, maybe I'm crazy. I don't think this makes him unhirable. I, he's never going to, I don't think he's ever going to get another, you know, power five job that pays you three and a half million dollars a year. But this was a very specific situation uh, in a state, not most states don't have that, that kind of mandate. So, um, and, you know, probably the best thing that could have happened is he ends his tenure there on a three game winning streak. If they were uh, one in six, that's going to be a harder sell. But now he, you know, was successful at Hawaii and I granted a very brief tenure at Washington State, but at least it was heading in the right direction. So my if I had to predict assistant coach somewhere kind of obscure and then maybe eventually a head coach again, maybe at the FCS level. Yeah, look, if he was coaching and, I, you know, we mentioned a Petrino, I'm, I don't want to ding Paul Petrino broadside him on this, but like if he was coaching like 10 miles away at, for the Vandals in Idaho. This is probably, I don't want to say be a non-issue, but it certainly wouldn't have risen to the threshold it has because of the state he's in. Um, so I, I think where some people are going to, you know, and these are t- including talk to some people who know Nick Rolovich really well are like, you know, it's hard because now you've taken this position and it really impacts your players are in the middle of it. And a lot of your coaches, especially the ones who are vaccinated, you know, they're likely going to be. Uh, out of jobs at the end of this season because of this. Um, I think that's one thing. But as you said, it just depends on who's doing the hiring. And I also think what what will factor into this, we know there's probably a lawsuit coming because that's what, you know, somebody, an attorney has put out there this morning. But I, I also think it's going to be 
what comes out and what he says, um, it, you know, subsequently from this. Because honestly, Nick Rolovich has said almost nothing on this front. And there's been, you know, it's just been such a murky situation. I think until we know more of where he's, you know, kind of what he says on this, I think that'll also tell you know, how comfortable certain people are going to be with hiring him. Yeah, I mean, truth, know, going frankly, if, if he, if his, I don't know what his goal end game is here. If he wanted to get another coaching job fairly soon, he would probably be best served not doing the legal action. And because I think as long as that's hovering out there, then he will be unhirable. It, it, it'll be once that clears. Um, Stu, while we're talking about legal matters, Tennessee never had a no. moment with that program. You know, obviously they had the, you know, the, the crazy Saturday night when Lane Kiffin returned and a few days later, um, Jeremy Pruitt, remember him, um, his attorney, Mike Lyons has given university of Tennessee until October 29th, as we're taping, that's nine days away to reach a financial settlement with Pruitt or face a lawsuit that he says will include details of a myriad of NCAA rules violations in the football program and other sports as a result in debilitating NCA sanctions. Uh, so buckle up Tennessee because he's going to dish all the dirt. What I thought was added a little spice to this, which is obviously Jeremy Pruitt got thrown way under the bus in that press conference where the chancellor was talking about level one violations. It was like, that was, you know, I don't know, I don't know if we even go into that bizarre press conference where they're like lauding Phil Fulmer at the same time as, as basically realizing that they're, you know, they're, uh, they're lucky that they were able to get somebody as capable or competent, I guess, um, as they did in the, in the hiring process. But in the face of that, in the face of, of this, um, USA Today story comes one of those coaches from another sport at Tennessee. This is from Rick Barnes, the basketball coach who's in his seventh season there. I'm really disappointed that Jeremy would throw other people's names around that he knows did nothing but support him the entire time he was here and make those unsubstantiated claims. I would invite the NCAA to come in any day of the week and investigate our program. I have too much respect for our players, our school, and our administration for somebody to ever think we were not doing things right here and make such ridiculous statements. He goes on. Jeremy is not here because of the decisions he made and the way he led his program. Here's what I know. Our university has done everything it possibly can in working with the NCAA to clean up the mess he left behind and bring this to closure. Ouch. Pay the money, Tennessee. I, I, I don't know what kind of dirt he actually, that Pruitt's lawyer has or doesn't have on, on um, Rick Barnes or anybody else at the University of Tennessee. It doesn't matter. Why do you want to go through this? Uh, pay him the money and it all goes away. Why would you want to go get into a protracted uh, fight where they're going to sling mud at each other and it's just not it's just not good for anybody. And the lengths they have gone through to try to avoid paying this buyout. I mean, I would just point to the fact that this lawyer that's representing Pruitt also represented David Beatty in Kansas. Now that was a smaller amount of money at stake. But you know, Kansas tried to do the same thing, pin NCAA violations on him. And it, to avoid paying, what was it, like a $500,000 buyout? It wasn't anything major. And after they took depositions, Jeff Long said some things under oath that did not look good. And they ended up basically paying him 
$50,000 less than they would have. Um, so pay the money, Tennessee. Don't do this to yourself. I, I don't think they will. It sure sounds like they're going to dig in their heels. Uh, I just you think, think Tennessee? I, I think Tennessee is going to end up paying them the money. But okay, but when? Like, will it be before this thing goes to court, or will they? I don't think ten. I I, I don't. No one's told me this. This is a guess. I have not. For everything you just said, if you're Tennessee, you have been a. I'm going to curse here for a second. You have been a shit magnet of colossal proportions. It's just like that fan base has been through way too much. Now, all of a sudden, you're going to have a coach who has been in the middle of it for a couple of years, has a big staff. I don't doubt that there's a lot. of, And I'm not saying it's Rick Barnes's program, but like you don't want him airing, you know, knowing where some of the bodies are buried. And there's, there's bodies is, buried at every athletic department in America, you know, like it's not, yes, this is yeah. not a, this is not a Tennessee. Like, this is what I would say. You, you and I have talked about this a lot in the podcast over the years. It's rare when some school gets really broadsided by people saying there's cheating going. Cause it almost, usually the people who are aggrieved are not the people who would come out. Meaning like, you know, Albert Means happened because there was a high school coach pissed off. Miami blew up in the Yahoo uh, reporting scandal because Nevin Shapiro was like an unconventional booster that he wasn't really tied to the school. He was like a friend of the program who gave a lot of money and he wasn't, you know, got sideways with it. In this case, you have a former coach who knows a lot of stuff, who is out money, who I don't think, you know... Jeremy Pruitt is probably not getting much of a head coaching job anytime soon. He's with the Giants now. Somebody will hire him as his defensive coordinator at some point, I'm sure. But I don't think anybody looks at him and say, after what he did at Tennessee, go, yeah, he's going to get a good head coaching job. But the money he would get, I think, is like, that's what is on the table. And I just don't think it's worth it for them to mess with him on this. The buyout that he was owed is $12.6 million. That's a lot of money in the real world. But by recent college coach buyout standards, that's actually pretty modest. LSU is paying Ed Ogeron more than that to go away. Uh, Texas paid Tom Herman more than that to go away. Just Gus Malzahn got way more yep. than that to go away. By the way, I misspoke about David Beatty's buyout. It was supposed to be $3 million, not whatever I said, 500000 yeah, That was the difference. Also, David, David Beatty also was put on the shelf. Like He couldn't get a job at at the University of Texas when I think he, there was a chance there. It was just kind of put his career on. Yeah. Know, KU really kind of screwed he him He was supposed to get $3 million and, and and the settlement ended up being two point five five. So And and the difference, Tennessee, uh, can, uh, Kansas spent as much on legal fees, uh, it, you know, in, in terms of the difference there. And David Beatty was actually, you know, ended up being cleared uh, of the violation. Jeremy Pruitt is not going to be cleared, it doesn't sound like, or at least his program won't be. Uh, but that doesn't mean I still don't think that's worth a protracted legal battle. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As always, you can send your emails to the audiblepod at gmail.com. And I'll start out with this one from Alex Buskin. It's very uh, timely. When the news about Ed Ogeron's separation agreement broke, I wondered about his next coaching job. Could you see him as a replacement for Manny Diaz at Miami if they let Diaz go after this season or next year? I know it's been a long time since Ogeron was at Miami, but they did have a lot of a lot of success while he was on the staff there. If not a place like Miami, do you see him end up being a head coach somewhere else, or has that ship sailed due to the bad publicity at LSU? Uh, Alex, I do not think he is going to be a head coach again. I don't think he's going to be. I, I, I'm not. I'm not saying it won't happen. I don't think he's going to coach football after this. A couple of reasons why. One, he is sixty, and I think he has realized. You know what? He's had some perspective on it. I think he honestly is like, where do you go when you just had your dream job? You led them to a national title. I'm not sure what the next step would be for him. I don't see he, he's been in the NFL as an assistant that I don't think he loved that. Uh, I don't see him wanting to be uh, somebody's D line coach or recruiting coordinator. And then these other jobs, I just don't see him, you know, wanting to pursue it. Miami is, is interesting on two fronts. Let's say even if it does come open, which it probably will, but we don't know that for sure at this point is when he was at Miami, it was a different life for him. You know, this was before he's been sober for a little over 20 years now, but at that point that was when his life was really out of control. Um, I don't necessarily think, I, I think he has some affinity for the place. Look, he's still friendly with Jimmy Johnson. He's close to the rock who actually has the money to make almost anything happen Miami football wise. But I just don't think at this stage of his, his life, he wants to go jump back into it. At least that's my understanding of where he's at right now. A lot of that could change, but I don't think he's coaching anywhere in 2020. Uh, in 2020. He said at his press conference, he does not intend to coach next year. So I'll take him at his word for that. I guess the question is, after a year being out, does he get restless and miss it and want to and want to get back into it? And if so, in what kind, at what level, at what kind of role? Yeah, I don't know. My guess is, I suspect he may try to do some TV somewhere. Um, Boy, that that'll regard. be that would be he would have the most unique voice on television. Yeah, I, I I would agree with that. I remembered we used him once for our CBS signing day show. And the night before I said, like it was a recruiting class. And I said, can you give, you know, like give me X, you know, kind of gave him a list of what we wanted. And there was about a minute and a half or maybe a minute, five minutes where he just kind of went off for like about each individual player. Like, yeah, we really could have used video over this because just him talking over the phone was just like, I don't know. I, I think him in the studio would be different than him. Like, you know, what you get with him coming off a game or at a sideline where you get like a worked up version. But, um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see how that would go. All right, Stu, the next question, or this one I have found, it is from Brian J. McLaughlin. 
Hey, Bruce and Stu, thank you for your great work on all aspects of college football. Thank you, Brian. My question is, is Dave Clawson of Wake Forest the most underrated Power 5 head coach? He has turned around a couple of programs now, has Wake Forest a tough place to win, undefeated so far this year. Mark Stoops and Tom Allen seem to be now more established names in the sport, and Jonathan Smith and Chris Kleiman maybe a year or two away from hitting their respective strides. Do you agree with him? I do agree with him. Now, I I don't think I don't get the sense most people are all that familiar with Dave Clawson, and there's a reason why. It's not. I mean, Wake Forest is having a great season this year. They're they're undefeated. They're ranked fairly high. If you were just somebody who just looks at records, you would go, wait, what? what what's the big deal with Dave Clawson? Three and nine, three and nine, seven and six, eight and five, seven and six, eight and five, four and five. He, they have gone to five straight bowl games, though. Uh, it's Wake Forest. I know they won that ACC title with Jim Grobe, but for the most, they are the smallest school in the Power Five. Um, they're in Clemson's division, Florida State's division as well, and it's you know to be that. I mean, anybody. I'm not anybody. But a lot of people could go in and have one good season or two good seasons. He, to turn them into a consistent bowl team is really something, and we'll see how this season ends up playing out. But right now has a chance to be a really special year. And um, and I think what's really unique about him is it's not like he came in and suddenly Wake Forest is recruiting a bunch of four and five stars. He has a very deliberate system. In fact, one of the reasons why I think this year is off to a great start for them is they, they are really benefiting from having these sixth-year guys back because even in normal times, their roster or the guys that are playing are usually third, fourth, fifth year guys. They try to redshirt everybody that comes into the program. They are, you know, very, um, they don't shy away from the fact that it's a developmental program. And also he's got a very unique offense. And if you ever watch a Wake Forest football game, it's kind of entertaining because you see some stuff you don't usually see, uh, especially in the way they run the ball. So, um, but he never... You tell me, Mr. Coaching Carousel, do you ever hear his name mentioned for, for big jobs? Or uh, has he ever been like the hot, considered a hot candidate for, for anything? I, I don't think he is not the type to campaign for it. I remember I reached out to him about something. And I think he is, he knows who he is. He knows the identity of what he wants to run and where he wants to coach. And I think that makes him very selective in where he wants to be. Um, you know, I have a somewhat embarrassing story, of, uh, you know, for me about him was a lot. I don't know when it was maybe like six or seven years ago. I was at some function. I want to say it may have been in New York for the football foundation event. And it was some, something for the ACC. And a guy started talking to me and we, had, we were like, I couldn't place him at first. And then within like, you know, it, it may have been like two minutes and I was like, oh, this is Dave Clawson. Cause I did not recognize him without like in a suit without his hat on. And, um, and he's somebody I've met a bunch of times now. Uh, like it was probably the first time I'd seen him in like a while. And I just remember thinking, oh yeah, because I'm so used to seeing him with a hat on and he was in a suit. It was different. It just kind of threw me for a bit. And, you know, like, as it turned out, like he is such a small school guy that he coached some guys I grew up with and used to play basketball with. So, you know, I have a little bit of history with him from, you know, this is, we're talking about in the beginning of his career, like he was a GA and some of the guys he coached I grew up with. Um, 
you know, the thing you said about a system, I totally buy into because I remember watching, you know, like if you're on a plane and you watch a game, it's almost like you like you're more invested in it than if you're on the couch, you know, like kind of, and they were playing BC. It might've been a Thursday night game. And, you know, Hartman was definitely the quarterback because he feels like he's been there for 20 years, but like you watched it and it was like, they are really do have a fun system to watch. And I think, you know, one of the things that has been cool to see about how they are thriving is by the way, they lost the quarterback who everybody thought was like a huge free agent a year ago, um, who ended up going to Georgia really didn't, you know, obviously do a ton, Jamie Newman. And they lost arguably the biggest impact transfer that anybody got this year in Kenneth Walker. And he's done great at Michigan State. And they're still winning. And it's like, you know, uh, Wake Forest hit the jackpot with Grove. I don't know what it was like 20 years ago or 15 years ago, probably 20 years ago, I guess. And I think they did again with Clawson. And um, except for that one year where he was on Fulmer's staff when everything was, was spiraling out of control, not his fault. Um, he's been really good everywhere he's been. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I actually uh, think that one year Tennessee kind of set him back because that, you know, that he is mostly co. I mean, he he's was at Fordham, he was at Richmond, he would end up later at Bowling Green. These are not places people are really paying attention to. So when the the time that he was like the most in the news was at Tennessee that one year, and he got fired. The whole staff got fired. So. Um, I, I think that probably set him back a little bit, but you know, he's doing really well at Wake. That is pretty interesting. Like, imagine if Kenneth Walker was still on the team this year; They're, they'd yeah. be even they'd be even better, I assume, because he's really good. Uh, so to button up Brian's question, yeah. I think we're in agreement. Yes, he is the most underrated sitting the uh, most underrated Power Five head coach out there right now. Yes, yes. Hey, let's stick in the ACC. Aaron in Miami. Hey, Stu and Bruce, big fan of the pod. It felt like Saturday in Blacksburg was the type of game Pitt would normally blow, but they came out and dominated the Hokies. For the first time in decades, are the Pitt Panthers a legit top 15 team? All right, Stu. I say yes. They have a really good quarterback. They are really good at getting pressure on the quarterback. Have some playmakers outside at receiver. I say yes. By the way, I think it's time you do a little mea culpa apology because like six weeks ago, you were ready to sweep Pat Narduzzi out the door. And don't think I forgot. <laughs> That's true. I do remember that. They've been mediocre every year he's been there, but here they are, 5-1. and one. No, 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 no. They have not been mediocre every they year. Had. They've they've, they've no, they have. They've been a very no, mediocre no, program. No, no, no. That's... Sorry. <laughs> I can see where my mouth was about to go, and I was like, I don't need to add a... They've not been mediocre. They were, they've had three eight-win seasons there. Well, well, maybe you have a different standard for mediocre. That's not mediocre. They haven't been great. That's not mediocre. Mediocre is five and seven, six and six all over the place. It's not eight. His his tenure up before this year, eight and five, eight and five, five and seven, seven and seven, eight and five, six and five. So he, Do you know what his record so, is? So in he had season, never, by the way, 15, 16, 17, six seasons. And no, in none of those six seasons, did they lose fewer than five games? You don't think that's mediocre? I don't think it's mediocre. I don't think it's great. I think he's had a he's had a decent run there. I don't think it's mediocre. Now look, you you can already read between the lines. I like Pat Narduzzi. I like, I like Pat Narduzzi too. Team. He's really fun guy probably to cover. You don't. You probably you don't. I do like him. I'm, I I I would be thrilled a- for him if they end up winning the ACC. Um, they did lose to Western Michigan. It was a three point score. I'm not gonna you know say oh because of that they stink. They won 
at Tennessee, which at the time we didn't make a big deal of, but oh, by the way, Tennessee's turned out to be a lot better than we thought they would be. And they killed Georgia Tech and they've killed Virginia Tech. So uh, I think they're definitely they're definitely a good team. Top 15, debatable. Uh, maybe top Gotta 20, top 25. Got to be Clemson. Got to be Clemson. They are, by the way, this is crazy. This is the first time in five years that Clemson is an underdog in a regular season game. I In, an AC, in a regular season game, I would not have... If you had said before the season Clemson is going to be an underdog against somebody this year for the first time in five years, you you would have I would have given you five choices and you would not have thought Pitt was one of them. By the way, I'm going to report back on this podcast on Sunday. I'm going to tell your friend Dave Wants that you said that Pitt is a mediocre program. I did not say Pitt is a mediocre program. I said that <laughs> that Pat Narduzzi has had a mediocre tenure, and I think if you give Wants a truth serum, he'd probably agree. We'll see about that. There, the guy doesn't lie. He he's a walking truth serum. You've been around. I'm saying if you were to ask, hey, coach, what do you, how do you think about how Pitt? It's it's hard to have this conversation now that he's doing well, but like before the se- season, how do you think Pitt's been doing the last five years? Do you think he would have been like really good? No, I think he would say Steve Peterson sucks and then move on to whatever else. Dave wants that must have gone. I don't know if people read our. Um, in our coaching carousel series last week, uh, Max Olson and Mitch Sherman did a fantastic story about the Nebraska coaching search that led to Bill Callahan. And, you know, I've always heard bad things about Steve Peterson, but my gosh, in that story, the details that, 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 you know, I think came from both Harvey Perlman, who was the president then, and the guy who was Steve Peterson's right-hand man, good Lord. I I rarely heard of anybody handling a, a coaching search much worse than that. All right, Stu, we'll move along, and Josh Boyd in Denver. Should Oregon make a change at quarterback? Can't really see what's going to gain, what we're going to gain from continuing to play a six-year quarterback that's playing average to below average. OU and Florida both made the change, and it's working out. I don't know about Florida making the change. There been, and it doesn't, so far it's not working out, um, whatever they're doing there. Alabama and Ohio State are playing, both playing freshmen, yet our coaching staff seems adamant about not making a change. What do you think, Stu? Yeah, that's a tricky one. Um, I actually had a question on my mailbag this week about, um, you know, why does it seem like coaches, you know, Lincoln Riley being an example this year, they did bring up Dan Mullen. How are they like the last ones to see that it's time to make a, a quarterback change? And of course, a big part of it is we don't know what they're seeing in practice every day. And I think that and not only do we not know what they're seeing in practice, even even what they are seeing in practice could be deceiving because quarterbacks can't be hit. And it's just not, I don't think you can simulate, you know, the kind of decisions under pressure a QB has to make in a game on the practice field. So only, and this is a case where, okay, you're pushing for Ty Thompson, the, the highly touted freshman. You know, Anthony Richardson got into games early in the season and showed flashes of what he could do. We haven't seen this guy at all. I mean, they have stuck with Anthony Brown through and through. So he is suggesting that Oregon, which right now is a top 10 team, I would argue they haven't been playing like one lately, but they are a top 10 team, should bench their six-year quarterback for a guy who we haven't even seen. I, I get it. I get that the freshman quarterback is always the most popular player on the team. And by no means do I think Anthony Brown has been playing well. But I just, I just don't know if that's the answer. And I think these coaches, one of the reasons they're hesitant is Anthony Brown's not playing great, but it's not like he's out there throwing four interceptions every week. They worry that if they put in a freshman and the freshman's not ready, that he's going to cost them the game. 
Yeah, Anthony Brown, by the way, Anthony Brown Jr. played really well in their big win at Ohio State. Let's let's give him that. He did play really well. He's also, you know, as much as, as he has been unspectacular, I think his numbers right now, seven touchdowns, one interception, that's not bad, you know, in terms of what you're talking about. It's not, you know, it's not like, you know, I don't think they're great on the outside to begin with. They haven't been really good at receiver for a while. Um, again, I'm not making excuses to say that if they made a, a quarterback change, but again, I think there's been a lot of stuff going on there and, you know, I know they're high on Ty Thompson. It's just, maybe they, maybe they're, as you said, maybe there's some extenuating things of why they feel like it's the best thing for them now to ride the more experienced guy. I think you just brought up the key stat, seven touchdowns, one interception. I think Mario Cristobal knows he's got a really good defense. Losing CJ Verdell was not ideal obviously but they've still got Travis Dye they can run the ball that what he needs most from the quarterback position is to not turn it over he probably feels like they can win most of their games with a defense that's going to hold teams to 17 24 points uh in a quarterback that doesn't turn the ball over could be wrong they play a, a, a UCLA team this week that's capable of scoring a lot of points and it may be a game where they do need Anthony Brown to to make some throws downfield and have some explosive plays um, by the way, that is the game day game this week, Oregon at UCLA, the Chip Kelly Bowl, if you will. As always, you can send your emails to the audible pod at gmail.com. We'll see you next time.